Welcome to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank that brings you market views and insights on the go. Hello everyone, my name is Zhong and welcome to True and Noise Podcast. Earnings are starting to enter full swing. The early batch of US earnings appears to be robust. Of the 81 companies in the S&P 500 index that has reported Q1 earnings so far, almost three-fourths have exceeded consensus estimates. However, the consensus is expecting U.S. earnings to have declined 4.7% year-on-year during the quarter, and that would mark the second straight quarter of year-on-year earnings contraction. We still expect earnings to contract from here, given our base case of recession in U.S. And that means we prefer defensive assets within the portfolio. The question then is, what are the assets that have historically delivered better returns during Fed easing cycle and during a recession. To discuss this and more, I've invited Audrey Go, who leads our asset allocation and thematic strategy, to join me today. Hi, Audrey. Let's address the elephant in the room. The commonly cited defensive assets are gold and U.S. government bonds. Are there other options? Well, uh, hi, Joan. Well, there are. So historically, gold as well as U.S. Uh, government bonds have performed well during periods of recession. Um, investors can also consider some of the more defensive uh, equity sectors, for example, because uh, we look at our analysis over the past four Fed easing cycle. Uh, we basically saw that defensive equity sectors such as in utilities, uh, consumer staples, as well as healthcare, uh, these sectors have also historically delivered positive returns in the uh, three and six months after the start of a Fed easing cycle. Um, and one reason for that, it could be due to the sector's more resilient cash flow as well as earnings. As a result, they tend to hold up a lot better during slowdown as well as during periods of recession. So if you look at uh, this year, uh, we entered the year being overweight on the likes of US utilities, healthcare, as well as the consumer sectors. Um, so far, these sectors have underperformed the broader market year to date. Um, but from a forward-looking perspective, we do believe that their resilience will stand out as uh, recession risks arise, particularly in the later parts of the year. Um, in addition to some of the more defensive equity sectors, uh, investors can also consider opportunities in the FX markets. Uh, for example, yen as well as Swiss, uh, Swiss francs. Uh, these currencies have historically been uh, more resilient and gained during periods of U.S. recession. Um, we will also average into gold on further pullback uh, below 2000 per ounce level, as we expect uh, the precious metal to benefit from safe haven demand, uh, as well as sustained uh, demand from EM central uh, banks. And then last but not least, uh, I've mentioned about US government bond earlier, and the 3.66 yield uh, level on the US 10-year treasury bond, uh, this is quite a strong resistance for this asset class. And we will use any opportunities to average into quality bonds as the 10-year yield approaches this level as well. Okay, you, you shared about the defensive equity sector in US. How about the China equities? Can China equities outperform if US enters a recession? So we expect a high likelihood of a US recession over the next 12 months. And typically or historically, uh, speaking, that would normally lead to further weaknesses in global equities as well. And historically, we've also seen uh, the Chinese equities exhibiting higher volatility and also underperforming during most global equity downturn. Um, however, if we bring it 
back to today, uh, we see that Chinese equities is already pricing in substantial, uh, substantially negative uh, sentiment. Uh, if you look at the current valuation, uh, China equities is about 40% below its peak, whereas global equities are only about 12% below its peak. And if you look in terms of policy as well, um, while the policymakers in the US and Europe are you know, tightening policies to tame inflation and to slow growth, China is really on the other end of the spectrum where they are policymakers are quite accommodative and supportive given their recent economic opening, which is really supportive towards a cyclical upswing. And as a result of that, we see Chinese equities outperforming over the next uh, 6 to 12 months horizon. And this is also corroborated by the recent uh, strength in macro data, where we've seen pretty strong set of retail sales numbers, fixed asset investments, as well as GDP. So against the backdrop, uh, we like Chinese equities. And within that, we prefer the consumer discretionary uh, communication services sector, uh, which we believe will benefit from greater spending by consumers. If we look at the communication sector, uh, this is largely dominated by the media and entertainment companies, which are exposed to consumer spending. And of course, uh, let's also not forget about technology and industrial sector as well, where we see valuations to be quite attractive and they also have policy support from the Chinese authorities. Okay, enough about equities. Maybe let's speak a bit about the government bonds, right? The bonds. Earlier, we spoke about government bonds offering good defensive exposure. So for investors who are looking maybe for a bit more yield premium than, than government bonds, where can they go searching for it? So if you look at global government bonds today, um, they're yielding about 3.6%, which is quite a significant improvement from, from the sub 1% yield uh, that we have been we saw during the pandemic era or the post-great financial crisis era. So yields continue to look quite attractive and we expect developed market government bonds to also act as an effective uh, diversifier portfolio hedge, especially during periods of recession. Um, so within our global investment community, within the bond space, we generally have a preference for high-quality bonds over the high-yield bonds, uh, given they are more defensive uh, uh, in nature. Uh, while the absolute yields on high-yield bonds you know, right, right now at about 9% looks relatively high, um, this asset class is in fact more susceptible to credit risk as well as spread widening, especially during periods of economic slowdown and recession. So when we look at the existing yield premium of high yield bonds over government bonds itself, um, it is around its long-term average, which in our view is still too tight given the backdrop of rising recession risk. So which is why uh, from our standpoint, we continue to believe that investors should be positioned more defensively in the, invest the investment-grade quality bond sector. Um, another area that investors can consider is in Asian US dollar bonds. Uh, and this uh, asset class, predominantly, uh, more than 50-60% of it is investment-grade bonds as well. And it is also largely dominated by China Chinese issuers. Um, so China has started the year with both its Q1 GDP as well as credit growth coming in stronger than expected. Uh, certainly, while you know the stronger growth prospect could push bond yields higher, there are also mitigating factors. For example, if we look at China, uh, certainly, inflation is not so much of a concern given lower than expected CPI as well as PPI data coming through in March. Um, let's also not forget that the global developed market slowdown as well as recessionary concern could also weigh on China's recovery. And then last but not least, we do expect the overall monetary policy setting in China 
to remain quite intact or supportive as the PBOC have recently maintained its one-year medium-term lending facility at about 2.775% for the eighth consecutive month. So against this backdrop, we don't expect China uh, bond yields to surge materially higher, even against the backdrop of you know stronger growth recovery coming through from China, which is why we continue to be uh, uh, overweight on Asia-US dollar bonds. Historically, the dollar also performs well as a safe haven asset. However, I noted that there was a lot of news recently of the dollar demise, right, due to the growing geopolitical risk. Does that affect your view on, on the dollar? Well, I think we've certainly seen a lot of headlines about um, deglobalization. And in our view, um, this uh, this seems to be a little overblown uh, from, from my perspective. Um, yes, we've certainly seen some countries uh, shifting away from the dollar, given that we've also seen rising number of uh, uh, bilateral trade settlement agreements denominated in currencies of the trading uh, countries. For example, we've seen uh, a recent agreement between Saudi Arabia as well as uh, Brazil to settle trade in CNH, right, the red Chinese renminbi. And we've also seen an increase in purchases of gold as part of their reserve by various central banks as well. But typically, such shift in terms of shifting away from you know, dollars and reserve currencies take multi-years and multi-decades to play out. And one of the key advantages for the US dollar is that the US market offers a very large liquid and freely tradable financial market, which is probably um, uh, not readily available in most of the other developed markets or even emerging markets in the world. And with this, it basically allows FX reserve managers to invest their holdings in short-term government debt as well as equities to learn a, earn a better rate of returns while holding certain reserve currencies. And it is this key advantage over other potential contender, which basically assures or ensures that the US dollar will continue to remain one of the major reserve currencies, even if it used, you know, if, if its market share sort of decline on a gradual basis over the next couple of decades. And over a 12 months horizon as well, uh, we continue to remain quite uh, bearish on the dollar for three key reasons. Uh, for one, uh, while the US dollar typically serves as a safe haven in global recession, um, it has a tendency to weaken uh, during periods of a US-led recession. And the second thing is that uh, we do expect uh, Fed to, you know, uh, Fed hiking cycle to peak out and eventually we're going to see uh, Fed cutting rates as well. And this should lead to a decline in US dollar bond yield which should also lead to a gradual erosion of US dollar interest rate advantages over other key currencies, which will push the US dollar lower on the 12 months horizon. And then last but not least, uh, we also believe that the US dollar remains expensive from a fundamental perspective. So in our assessment, we continue to like the yen, uh, which you know enjoys a much more favorable interest rate differences vis-a-vis uh, -vis the dollar, and that should drive a gradual appreciation of yen over the next 12 months. And let's also not forget that we've also just seen a leadership change in the BOJ as well. And what this means is we do see a high likelihood of a less accommodative Bank of Japan over the next few months, which should also support our view of a strengthening yen. And last but not least, um, the yen also has a track record as a safe haven currency as well historically. So in terms of levers, uh, we expect the US dollar yen currency pair to trend towards 125 over the next uh, 12 months. And with some risk that it could test the 120 levels uh, should the BOJ turn more hawkish than expected. Thank you, Audrey, for the informative sharing. I think with that, we will end the podcast here today. 
Thank you so much for joining us today. For those who are celebrating Hari Raya Posa on Saturday, Salamat Hari Raya IDF3 and have a blessed celebration. Thank you for listening to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank. For more details on the latest market insights, subscribe to Standard Chartered Money Insights.